Well, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians 15, or you can read along on the screen. We have others that weren't able to be here this morning that would have been up front, but again, if you guys have any questions, we also have, among those that are going, uh, financial needs and some opportunities to even go along with them. And so you saw the faces, maybe heard some of the names. If you need connecting, you can come back and find me. But this morning we're turning to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew as a church, but this Easter morning felt led to go here. If you're here and you're a visitor, though, we want you to know how welcome you are. Uh, you're with a group of folks who don't have anything figured out other than the fact that we are really needy and are trusting that Jesus is enough. And I hope that that's what we'll see again today through God's Word. So 1 Corinthians 15, we'll be reading verses 12 through 34. You can read along on your Bible, your phone, or up on the wall. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who, fall, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that we've already read and sang together this morning. And we thank you, Father, that you are here with us. We thank you that Jesus is alive that he walks in our midst today. 
We ask now, Spirit, that you would help us to be aware that you are here. No doubt, Lord, many may be wrestling with some guilt, fear or shame right now, wiggling, ready to get this Easter thing over with. But we ask you to help us, Lord, to be here, to try you this morning, that we might experience your love and your victory that comes to us through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. It wasn't Easter, but General George Washington's commitment to cross the Delaware River on Christmas 1776 was a pivotal moment in the Revolutionary War that many hardships would be faced, but there would be an eventual victory that came to the Continental Army. I really believe that happened. That George Washington crossed the Delaware. But when I was in an argument with my wife this week, I did not identify myself with George Washington and say, just as George Washington crossed the Delaware, I can cross the chasm of this conflict with my wife. I'd like to proclaim boldly, although I'm in Tennessee, that my Atlanta Braves and Georgia Bulldogs won championships this year. It's true. But when I'm soaking in my shame in the mornings and sometimes actually looking in a mirror and apologizing for being me, I do not appropriate the victories of sports teams to make me feel better about myself. Bless the Lord, the Braves and the Bulldogs won. Now I know that I am known, I am seen, I have a belonging, I matter in this world. I'm going to make it, because they finally won, I'll finally win. I believe that lots of fine people in history and fine people in this room have done great and exemplary things. But honestly, sometimes good examples just make me feel even worse. Because I know I can't live up to them. There are many historical events that we probably all really believe happened in this room. And you may share them and proclaim them with confidence. But they really don't impact our everyday lives. And it would be super awkward if some of them did, like I just shared. But there is a good news that is bigger than inspiration from our past. There is the good news that a resurrection has happened that has changed the past, has changed the future, and intends to invade our present lives. It's the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, if all of us are honest this morning, we can tend to live as if the resurrection of Jesus has little more impact on our lives than George Washington crossing the Delaware or giving us a ticket to heaven one day. There's many of us in here who we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was, is true news. If you have, were given a sheet of paper this morning, we passed it around the room and said, check if you believe Jesus really rose from the dead, you might say, yeah, I guess I believe that, or I completely believe that. But do you believe that that true news is actually good news? Because when good news happens, 
It changes our lives. The gospel is the good news that the life and the death, the resurrection, the reign, and the return of Jesus has come to make all things new through the defeat of sin and death and hell, especially us. But the question Paul is asking in this text through the Spirit is, has that become just a belief that is anchored in the past or is it something that is changing your life in the present? We are called to embrace the resurrection not only as true news, but as good news. Not only is a true news to be proclaimed, to be believed, but as a good news to be practiced. We're called not merely to proclaim the resurrection, but to actually practice the resurrection. So how do we do that? How do we know Jesus beyond just a historical fact like George Washington or beyond just a future ticket? Well, the first thing is, is we've got to understand how compartmentalizing the resurrection separates us from the good news of the resurrection. What Paul is doing here in verses 12 and 13 is he is calling out the illogical and inconsistent way that they have separated Jesus' resurrection from their own personal resurrections. John, Paul here in these two verses is not so much defending the resurrection. He does that in verses 1 through 11 if you want to go look at that. What he is saying is, you guys have said you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, but now you've taken the step and you've said, that's not going to have any impact on my own resurrection one day. Why was that maybe the case? Because in that Greek culture, it was embarrassing to talk about a physical, bodily resurrection. In their world, the body was bad. In their world, it was like, we just need to escape and live on this sort of spiritual plane of existence. But the gospel tells us that Jesus did not just come to change us on the inside. He came to change all of us and the whole world and to make everything back to how God intended for the glory of God and the good of humanity. Paul is saying here these things are inseparable. So in verse 13, if there's no resurrection of the dead, if it's not going to have anything to do with us one day, then Jesus' resurrection didn't happen. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, or it changes nothing. My daughter had a great fear at one point in her life. And it was a great fear called Frankenweenie. Now, if you know anything about the story of Frankenweenie, the story of Frankenweenie is the story of Frankenstein taken and applied to a dog. And so here we are, I believe, going to watch the very first Avengers in the movie theater. But you never know what the previews are going to be. And my sweet little girl gets scared to death for several years at the sight of this dog. I don't remember the dog's name. Looks like Spuds McKenzie, if anybody remembers that dog. But anyway, tells you a lot about my cultural sophistication, Spuds McKenzie. All right. This, this dead dog struck by lightning in great Frankenstein fashion comes alive and it just completely freaks her out. Now, in one sense, we might say that's super irrational. 
But for a kid that's become less sophisticated, it should totally weird us out when things that die come back alive. Imagine a family member of yours who has died shows up tomorrow night in your home. If you are cool with that, and if you're just like, hey, sweetheart, go get them something to drink, then I think you're the one who now has issues. <laughs> Dead folks can't come back to life and it not shake things up. Except for Christians. Except for me many days. I mean, we believe a lot of things that a lot of people like to ridicule, right? A lot of culture wars, a lot of issues. But my goodness, above all that, we believe a man who really died got up and walked out of a grave and sat by a beach with his apostles and made them breakfast, who was seen who was touched, who sent Mary to go and tell those disciples that he is not here, but he is risen. If we can just go on about our lives as if they're normal, then like Paul's saying to them, how could you go on with your, if you can go on with your life as normal, if that's not changing anything, then it must not have happened. This reality is the height of insanity. If we are going to learn to experience the resurrection not merely as true news but as good news, then every person in this room and in this world has got to do justice to the reality of how you've compartmentalized that reality to not make any difference. Paul is not saying this to them, neither me to you this morning, to heap guilt on you, but to give you hope. This is really good news because this is not something you're called just to believe harder. No, you already believe it. It's an invitation to step into a true and better story for your life that doesn't leave Jesus just theoretically existing back in the AD of the first century but to believe He lives and reigns with you in your homes, in your cars, in your dorm rooms, in your suites, in your campers, in your closets. We have to ask ourselves, does our Sundays match our Mondays? Because we can sing and shout and hear that Jesus is alive and tomorrow believe that your life is just one big dead end. We can sing that Jesus lives here on Sunday, but on Monday we can believe that we don't matter, that we're ugly, unloved, unseen. But the reality is, is that Jesus has promised us that we will be fully renewed in body and soul one day to reign with Him forever. On Sunday we can confess that Jesus is alive, and on Monday we can say, what's the point of even trying? 
We can say that Jesus is risen in power and then on Monday believe we're helpless, stuck in a hole that nobody can get us out of. But if he's alive, then he is with us. We need to ask ourselves, like this first century group of people here in this text, do our lives betray that we don't believe that he really is alive? And to hear that again, not to heap guilt on us, but to bring hope. Because if you've not lived that way, the invitation is there is a bigger and better way to see your existence. There is a bigger and better way to experience Jesus, not just as true news, but as good news. The text goes on though. So the first thing, if we want to experience the resurrection as good news, not just true news, we've got to... We've got to understand how we compartmentalize this reality. But the second thing is we've got to understand the consequences of this reality. So if our compartmentalization separates us from this good news, the consequences that it brings can shape us into this good news. In verses 14 through 19 that we read, we see that Paul speaks here of the consequences of Jesus' not being risen. So he's like, imagine we just made this stuff up. Imagine he really died, but we still wanted to love him, and so we just had a metaphorical or spiritual resurrection. Well, this is at least what God's Word says about that. Verse 14. First, Paul says our preaching is in vain, that it's as empty. There's nothing to it. We're going around telling everybody this good news, but it's really not real. That's pretty sad, isn't it? It's pretty pathetic to dupe people into believing in this thing that happened that didn't. And he says your faith is in vain. That is, your faith is empty like you, ever, you actually bought it. And these guys came up with this religion because they wanted something to live for. And then look at all these people who actually believed in the joke. So verses 15 make, verse 15 makes sense. So then that means we're guilty of misrepresenting God. Like, it's not love. What I'm doing here this morning is not loving. I'm lying to you. Like, I'm not, you, I mean, regardless of my motives, I'm a liar. And you brought your kids to hear a lie. So verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And another reason why it's futile, it's empty, it's vain, it's because you're still in your sins. You see what Paul is saying here is you can't separate the cross from the resurrection. No matter how well-meaning Jesus was, if he said, I'm going to die for your sins, but then he just dies. Elisha said the other day, in one of a great moment of deep thought, he doesn't know what I'm about to say. I love that. Y'all should pray for preacher's kids. Uh, he said, I could die. What's the big deal about that? What a deep thought, son. That's true. I could sit up here and say, I'm going to die for your sins and actually do it. Okay. That just sounds like a well-meaning crazy person. 
Jesus was not the first person who came along and claimed to be the Christ or the Messiah and had been crucified. So if that's the case, then you're not forgiven. So sorry, but there remains condemnation. You're stuck. Figure it out. Figure out how to make yourself feel better. There's no forgiveness for your sins if he was just a good teacher who died to set an example. Verse 18. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep, here another word for death. Then everybody that you went to those funerals and they've said you'll see them again. Again, opium of the masses, right? Let's just make everybody feel good. Because the reality is, when you're dead, you're dirt. Verse 19. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of most all people most to be pitied. Wow, what a bold statement. If, if, there's, if there's nothing more... Jesus didn't raise and you're not going to be resurrected to reign with him forever, then we need to leave right now. There's better things we could be doing with our time. I mean, it's really pitiful. I mean, look at you guys. And look at these guys. Sacrificing to go around the world? Share a life? Caring about how you raise your kids? Caring about how you treat others. I mean, yeah, those those things matter, but we're making we've we've taken it to a whole nother level, right, as Christians. Could actually make an argument the most least loving thing for you to do would to be to get them involved in some type of organized group. This is not a throwaway reality is what Paul is saying. But it doesn't end there. I feel the heaviness. That's what we need to feel. Verse 20. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. There's not just negative consequences. There's positive consequences. So if that were true, yeah, this is one big sad, you know, where the ship's going down. Give me a fairy tale to believe in so I can make it through the night. But if Christ has been raised, verse 20, if Christ has been raised, then we're a part of this new redemptive reality that he describes as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That is, Jesus rose from the dead, and what his resurrection did is it begun this great, eternal, and cosmic harvest of that which is dead being made alive, of that which has been disrupted and disordered being set to rights. You are a part of the new humanity that has been brought alive through this first and great representative that now, verse 21 through 22 says, stands in our place instead of Adam. For as a man came death, verse 21, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam I'll die, so also in Christ shall each be made alive. Adam used to represent us. He was our federal head. He was our, our representative that we not only lived in light of, but we actually carried out the same way. 
But now because Jesus has risen, we have a new person who stands in our place. We got a new history. The family tree's been changed. And no matter how screwed up, I shouldn't use that word probably, forgive me, how messed up your own family tree is all the way back to Adam, how messy that thing is, what dysfunction and disorder, you now have a new family lineage. You now have a new story to live into. Because you've been made a part of this new resurrection. Verse 23 says, Christ the firstfruits. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. And then verse 24, we see Jesus is reigning. And He will reign, the risen Jesus, until He has triumphed over all things. Until all enemies have been put under His feet, including death. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The resurrection promises us that death has been defeated. But because Jesus has defeated death in His resurrection, we have the assurance that when He returns, He will destroy death. This is why later in this very chapter, we're going to hear that the sting of death has been removed through the resurrection of Jesus. That is, it can hurt us, but it can't hold us. It can bite us, but it can never make us belong there. And so then verses 27 through 28 tell us that we enter into this new relationship where the Son of God is victorious, is the true and better Adam. And one day all history will culminate with Him presenting this final work to the Father. And all things will be restored to their perfect order as it was in the beginning. So the end of verse 28 says that God may be all in all. The point here is is that the resurrection restores everything. It changes everything. Now, Many of you have heard this story. So talking about my kids, I'll talk about myself for a little bit. Again, some of you heard it. I experienced a very embarrassing scamming by the IRS one time. It wasn't actually by the IRS. That's what the scam was. So how many, I I won't ask you for a show of hands, but in your heart you can raise your hand. How many of you have received a text or a call or a voicemail that said something to the effect of you need to contact the IRS or something about your car warranty, right, and do this? And probably most of you guys are smart enough to just go on with your life. I was not. Uh, Cassie's already embarrassed. She threatened to take all access to our finances after this. So I'm sitting in the library in Cleveland... And I, I, I get in this weird call, and I usually don't answer them, but for some reason I did. I just say, who am I speaking with? And, oh, well, Rust, Rusty Lankford. And, and they begin to go on and say, we've tried to contact you several times to let you know that you owe the IRS X number of money. X, yes, X number of money. Well, what this guy did at the first was brilliant. He was talking so proper, he gave me his government badge number, which was really impressive. And he told me who he worked for, and, and, he, and he took me down a very painful trail for about two hours, I'm sad to admit. He said, if you get off the phone with me, we've already contacted the Bradley County Sheriff's Department, and they're going to show up at your house. 
And I just started to imagine, Cassie homeschooled at the time, the police coming and knocking on the door in front of the kids, and, she, and he said, we're going to have to remove, remove them immediately because, you know, we're going to have to seize the house unless you pay this. And I'm starting to get mad. You know, not mad enough, evidently. But, like, you can't do this. Like, you didn't let us know. And they're like, no, we've, set, we've sent two, we've, we've mailed you two warnings. And you didn't respond. And I'm like, now, yeah, I probably would throw the trash away without looking at it. But my wife's not like that, to Jack's point earlier. Like, she, she would be on this. This isn't right. You need to give us another chance. None of y'all will trust me ever after this. And, and, so, and so what can I do? And he's like, well, you can pay it. And I'm like, how much is it? And he's like, $9,000. And I'm like, I don't have $9,000, but I can go down to the bank and see what I can do. Can I call you back? And he's like, no, you can't get off the phone with me. If you get off the phone with me, it is resisting arrest or something, he said. And I was like, well, what do I do? He's like, well, just put me on speakerphone <laughs> and get in the car and drive to the bank, and I'm going to walk you through what to do. Sorry, Cassie. I have to make it even with the kids. So here I go, leaving the bank, going down to Regions. I've got it on speakerphone. I'm like, what am I going to do when I get there? And he says, just put the phone in your pocket. <laughs> Leave me on speakerphone and get in line. And thankfully, there was a line. And I said, well, aren't they going to know something's up? And he said... If you let them know what's going on, they will close your bank account because we've already contacted them. It just didn't make sense in hindsight, but it did in the moment. And so I'm standing in line at Regions downtown like Barney Fife. That's what I'm thinking in, in hindsight. And I got my phone in my pocket on speakerphone. And all of a sudden I looked down and I knocked it and turned it off. And I'd ask him, what happens if I accidentally knock it off speakerphone? He's like, well, just call me right back. And so here I am standing in line trembling, you know, like I'm about to rob a bank. And uh, thankfully there's a line. And I look down and it's not on anymore. And so I'm like, oh, I got a chance. And so I run back to Nick who works there. Uh, and I'm like, listen, I'm not supposed to be telling you this. <laughs> but this is what's going on. And you should have saw the look on his face. Kind of like the look on yours right now. <laughs> He's like, yes, this is a scam. <laughs> and I'm just like, I just feel this like deep relief. Well, the reason I'm sharing that story, and again, because I think I did before, is if the resurrection isn't real, then all of y'all are with me in the line. Hearing some voice saying, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And most of you went to the bank, right? And you've got money to invest in this. We're organizing our time, our money, our calendars. And Paul is saying here, it's just as silly as me. So you're just as silly as me if this isn't true. But then he flips the script. But if it is true, then everyone who is not a disciple of Jesus is in the line. 
So every human are hearing these voices of guilt and fear and shame, and it is controlling you and how you spend your time and your money and your resources. Controlled by your past, controlled by that fear, and whether you think it's just yourself or it's the devil, it's how you're living. But you have a Father who loves you and wants to get you out of that line. He's better than old Nick sitting in the office. He has sent his son to come for you. So you don't have to live that lie. And some of you this morning may be saying, but what about me? I've not lived into that reality and I got some miles on my tires. Well, don't feel alone. That's where these people were we're reading about. And don't feel alone. You're in a room with a whole lot of other people. That's why we're here. It's because we know that apart from the forgiving, healing, and delivering work of Jesus that was vindicated through the resurrection of Jesus that we have no hope. You're with a bunch of people here who find ourselves in that line again. Why am I standing here listening to this voice of guilt? Why am I being this fool standing here being afraid of something that now because Jesus is risen has no authority in my life? This is why we need the resurrection and this is why we need the community of the resurrection to remind us that Jesus has risen to remind us that because Jesus is resurrected, He specializes in dead things, dead dreams, dead ends, dead past, and seemingly dead futures. Paul is saying that because of the resurrection, the trajectory of your life, your story, can start new again today. And when you trip and fall like I will tomorrow, it can start new again then. Because the resurrection isn't merely about our inspiration. It is about a vindication that Jesus really has won. And so we cannot compartmentalize this. We must see the consequences. And this last thing is we've got to understand the courage this can give us to live. This is how our text ends. And there's lots of things that are hard to understand and things I've already read about this morning. But there's, a, there's some big ones here too. But verse 29, he's talking about this baptism on behalf of the dead. We can talk about that later. But whatever he's saying here, it, most people believe he's just pointing out the inconsistencies of the Corinthians. They live in this pagan culture that doesn't accept the resurrection, but then they have these pagan practices where they're baptizing their dead, and he's saying, listen, guys, y'all aren't even, inconsist- y'all aren't even consistent with this. But then he talks about the courage that the resurrection gives him. Notice verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? Then the end of verse 31. I die every day. Verse 32. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? The resurrection gave these first disciples such courage. They actually lived in a time where the resurrection would have been very easily debunked. Debunked. 
But they were living with the reality that there were 500 plus eyewitnesses who actually saw Jesus walking around. And it was so real to them, they would rather die for it than deny it. I mean, I make up a lot of crazy stuff, and Cassie has to call me on it, but I ain't dying for it. Right? I'm not going to... They did. They were bold alive. They were flayed by their skin. Paul here is talking about, I'd rather go, I'll go fight beast in the Colosseum. Because I know I'm going to live even if I die. It's why let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Verse 32, way of life makes no sense. One, a singer has a song that I like, kind of. It's called If We Were Vampires. Yeah, it sounds weird. But it's this idea that like if there's eternity or if we live forever, it's going to suck out the meaning of our relationships right now. And with all due respect to this person who's a good artist, Paul's saying here it's actually the opposite. That if we really get the resurrection, then everything we do in every little moment matters. The big things matter, but the little things matter. Like our friends, verse 32. Like being willing, verse 34, to just wake up to life. Jesus getting out of the grave is one thing. There's some days where it's hard for me to get out of the bed. But I can get out of the bed because he got out of the grave. I can love my wife and my children and my friends that are in this room in little ways. And I know that even if nobody notices... That Jesus is taking all of that and making it into something so beautiful. There are certain situations where it seems as if we can't make it. Maybe I've had some, but I've not had some of the biggest ones. And I know that there are people in this room who have. That's the death of a marriage, whether through divorce or death, and the death of a child. One of the things that I've heard that does not help them is somebody like me who's not been there telling them how to make it. Sorry about that death. Just want you to know God causes all things to work together for good. Now that's true, but my understanding is that's not super helpful, at least at first. But what I've heard is helpful is to have somebody else who's been there just maybe sit beside you. Maybe listen to you. And to see that they survived it. They made it. They got out of bed again. They went on in life. They survived. For the rest of us, maybe you've not lost a marriage or a child, but everybody in here has probably lost a death, something to death in some way. Again, death of a dream, death of a friend, death of a family member. And in some ways, maybe you feel like the death of yourself. 
And it's really hard to go through unless you find some way to drug that, deny that, distract that, or detach from it. Wouldn't it be nice if we all had somebody who had defeated everything death was? Wouldn't it be nice if someone really understood us? Wouldn't it be nice if someone actually really had faced our deepest fears and came out on the other side alive? And wouldn't it be nice if even if we're saying, yeah, but you don't understand, it was my sin that caused it. Wouldn't it be nice to know that he says, I took care of that, it's paid in full, you're not going to go down and overdraw on the ba- at the bank on that. And some of you saying, but you don't know how, how bad my suffering was, the shame that I endured, the evil. Wouldn't it be nice if someone said, by my stripes you were healed? Wouldn't it be nice if, 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 if you're here saying, yeah, but you don't know about the voices that I hear in my head that plague me, that I, I have to take medication just to sleep or I can't even go to sleep because of how haunted I am. I can't hardly get through the day. Wouldn't it be nice if there was someone who had defeated evil and who rose with authority. And wouldn't it be nice if he proved it all through his resurrection? This is the reality that we have. And we merely have to come to him in faith to believe that sin is defeated, that death is defeated, that Satan is defeated. And when that gets into our bones, then the resurrection is not just true news, it's good news. It's good news for broken, burnout people like us who aren't just going to all of a sudden have it together tomorrow because you came to church on Easter Sunday. But you can follow the one who does and will. But you must embrace the resurrection not just as true news, but as good news.